you know, a couple of years ago we were running, I was running six, six locations. Like everything I've learned, I've, I've figured out along the way. Like I don't, I don't have an MBA. I just surround myself with like smart people. I join masterminds. I read, I read a lot of books. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Right. And today I run a $36 million company that, you know, we're going to continue to grow. I could grow this thing to a hundred. You're listening to the next generation podcast, weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20 somethings out there. Hello, everyone. I am Brian Beers. I rolled up 30 Midas automotive repair franchises over the last six years, and I'm excited to be a guest here on the Next Generation Podcast. We're excited to have you on, Brian. We were riffing a little bit uh, beforehand on the fact that I think we haven't really spoken to anyone in the franchise space at all, and it's probably a bit new for most of our audience, and I think seems maybe a little bit out of reach. How did you end up even kind of diving in on this space? space? I think maybe family business was was involved there. Um, maybe a quick overview on how you even got involved with yeah. auto repair shops. Sure. So yeah, legacy business. Uh, my dad got at it when he was 22 years old in 1976, uh, I think it was, with his dad. And they were looking uh, for you know a, a new business. And his, uh, his cousin or uncle or someone in that tree uh, owned a Midas shop, a bunch of them up in Boston, did very well. And um, so anyway, my dad got into it with, with his dad and um, started with one and just started to grow it over the years. They grew from one to two to three, you know, they were, they were opening up, they were acquiring, um, you know, throughout the eighties and the nineties and, you know, went up to, I think as many as eight and they sold a few and then, um, you know, just kind of cruising it. And, uh, you know, they were getting tired, you know, Oh eight, Oh nine was rough. Um, you know, thought about selling the business, just holding on to a couple of the, the properties they owned. And getting out. And then, you know, I, I graduated college that year and um, decided I would give it a shot, see if I could breathe some new life into the business. And, and that's exactly what happened. So I joined and just started to uh, network with other franchisees, just try to learn like what's working across the country. You know, I read all the books and just like try to start putting in new ideas. And, and back then it was like some basic, basic stuff, but like, you know, using Google Sheets to like track our sales every day and like, trying to put better comp plans that motivate uh, based on gross profit, not just sales. Cause that's how, you know, we make money and anyway, those kinds of things. And then, you know, we started getting traction and um, you know, and then we started to grow through acquisitions. You say, you know, read all the books. Like it's like a common thing. Like, Oh yeah, of course, all the <laughs> franchise books. Like everyone's got a couple on their desk at least. Right. Um, uh, but for anybody, maybe like, do you have like a top two to three for like the place to get started if someone wants to look at it? Yeah, honestly, they're just like just general business books, leadership management, um, you know, I, I forget back then which ones they were, but a lot of them were about like organizational management, you know, creating culture. Um, if it was today, I'd, I'd say you'd be, you know, like we, we try to follow traction, but I, th I think there's a lot of good principles in that at EOS. Um, but the franchising aspect in general, like at the end of the day, like we operate our own company and we fly the Midas banner. Right. So like, but it's our company, you know, I'm the president, my brother's the vice president. We have our own office. Like there are employees. It's, it's our benefits, our healthcare, our sales. Um, and we, and we have the better, the benefit of both worlds because we get local family ownership, right? It's a small company or it used to be, it's a little bit bigger now. Um, but we also have the power of a national brand behind us. So we have somebody else that takes care of all the marketing. And today I was on a call about, you know, national TV buys and doing deals with like, whatever Hulu and you know, if Netflix and Disney start, you know, doing ads, like, you know, we're going to be right in there. And so that's kind of the benefit is you don't like, I don't have to, I don't have to figure out any of that stuff out. I don't have to worry about a website. I don't have to think about like, 
you know, all that marketing, all I got to do is, is execute on operations. And so for anybody who like, that's their skill set, like hiring people, leading teams, driving sales, focus on operations, you know, franchise might be a good fit. Cause that's like 95% of your job. And then, you know, you pay royalties to, to let somebody else handle all the marketing stuff and the branding. So anyhow, uh, in terms of like books you can read and how you can educate yourself, any business book, like a lot of the principles apply, uh, to growing your business, which happens to also be a franchise. If I had to guess, I would assume it probably depends on the actual franchise, but mm -hmm. for someone that has maybe no experience actually running a business, are they coming in and giving you, Hey, here are the training manuals. Here are, you know, this is how you hire employees. This is, you know, how you kind of do the accounting. How much are they actually kind of holding your hand versus giving you the freedom or, you know, maybe the ability to run it how you want? Yeah. So it's going to vary based off of you know, franchisors. Now, one of them that they all stay away from is anything to do with hiring or compensation plans. Because there, there becomes this issue of what's called joint employers. And uh, it's it's really big in the like more of the restaurant space. But like, basically, if, if McDonald's corporate is telling their franchisees how they should hire, how much they should pay, what they should look for, uh, you know, then you get these like people that want to unionize, you get California and you get all these things and say, Hey, McDonald's corporate, you're basically treating these people like employees. Thus now you're a joint employer. And then, you know, you can have all these issues. And so the franchisors really want to stay away from most things that have to do with, um, employment. Now there are ways they can, you know, so this is the benefit of the franchise though, is there's a network of other franchisees. So then you can work together. So like I can call up another franchisee and we can talk about it, right? What's working for him, what's not working. Um, and so that's like, that's one of the benefits is you get this kind of the power of the mastermind or whatever. You get this built-in community of all these other successful people um, and some, some maybe not successful, but you find the successful ones and you work with them, you become friends with them. Like you chat with them on a regular basis and you share ideas, best practices, challenges. And so for a lot like comp plans, what's working, what's not working, adver different advertising, if we want to try our own little thing, uh, operations, um, sales process, all that stuff, vendors, what using, or if, you know, we negotiate good rebates, like I'll tell my buddies and they can hopefully get the same rebate from the, a similar vendor. Right. Um, on terms of like training, you know, a lot of them are going to do a lot of training on the operations of the business itself. Like how do you operate the specific business, the stuff around like the admin and like payroll, like not that you're on your own, but like, you're kind of on your own for figuring that stuff out. But honestly, a lot of it's not that complicated. Like you can hire, you can hire a, an accountant or, or a bookkeeper to help you take care of your books. Like, you know, I, I think for some people it's, it's about like, you know, you jump in and then you figure it out versus like trying to like think everything's gotta be perfect. I gotta be an expert and all this stuff before you kind of like right. take that jump. So I don't, I don't know. That's me though. I'm, I'm more of a risk taker. So. Yeah, it's interesting you bring it up and like kind of phrase it the way you did earlier around franchises seem to be the perfect fit for somebody who is operationally savvy, but doesn't like the sales and marketing piece, or maybe not so much the sales, but at least the marketing piece, because you can kind of like rely off of like the national brand mm -hmm. to yep. carry a little bit of the weight there. It's like thinking to myself, going into this call, it's like franchises could be a lot of fun. Like I have an uncle personally, uh, who's, I think he owns like 60 or 70 Wendy's or something like ridiculous like that. And like the guy is really good when it comes to like operations and finance, which I would imagine is kind of exactly the space that you have to be in. Um, if you want to go and be successful in franchising, but like for myself personally, and I've had this conversation with Gio a million times, like, especially on the real estate stuff, which is very operationally and finance intensive. I'm like, I'm really bad at that. Like I like the sales and the marketing piece of it way more. Um, and so I'm curious too, if like, like what would the inverse of a franchise almost be like if 
franchises, you don't have to go and bank on the marketing, but you have to be operationally savvy. The inverse of that, if you're starting a business and like you only want to go and focus on the sales and marketing piece, but like you don't necessarily have to be operationally uh, intensive because someone else is managing all of that piece. I guess it's it's probably drop shipping if I had to go into affiliate guess. marketing, maybe affiliate marketing. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. not responsible at all for the fulfillment and the delivery of a service or products, but like you can just go and rely on like the sales and it's like agencies too, probably of mm-hmm. like just going and converting sales. So that's kind of like, I feel like that's the world and space that I've lived in more lately. And so kind of hearing the inverse is pretty cool. Yep. And it, so every brand's different, right? So like, like if you were like for, for me, like I said, you know, we operate our own company, we, we fly the Midas banner, right? Like, but if you're like a Chick-fil-A, you get to have one location and you are going to be there every day. You're an owner operator and they're going to limit you and you're going to follow like exactly their playbook. Right. And so you get to a Chick-fil-A, I mean, it's a great program for the right people and they can make, you know, I don't know, 500 grand or something. They can, they can make a good amount of money, but they, they bought themselves a job. Right. Cause like Chick-fil-A is basically their boss telling them, telling them what to do and, and what they and then they can't expand. They can't have 30 locations, right? They can have one or three, maybe max. And so that's like the totally opposite end of the spectrum. And, but there's a lot of them that are, that are kind of in between. And so p- part of it is like finding out what the culture fit of the franchise E or the franchisor is, and then kind of what your skill set is. And if, if you're like, Hey, I love marketing. I love websites. I love creating a brand. I love all this stuff. Like franchising is not, not for you then. Like the reason I do it is because I don't like, I don't want to do any of that stuff. Like I want a brand that we can open up, up a new location and I got business on day one. Like I can do 70 grand in sales the next month or whatever it is starting from zero because people just, they know the brand and they got to get their cars fixed. And like, you know, they come to us, right? Yeah. Like there's not like, that's one of the benefits of franchise. If I was just beers, tire and auto, like, and I open up a new location, like nobody knows it. Like I'd have to spend a ton of money on marketing and branding and try to get people to like create the trust. Um, and so for me, like it's, it's the speed to scale that we can open up new locations. We can acquire existing locations very quickly and I can get, you know, you can get a lot of growth very quickly because the, like the brand is already established. Yeah. That makes Right. That that's the benefit of, of a legacy brand. Now, one of the challenges is a lot of people get sold on these ideas of like these new hot emerging brands, right? Crumble cookie or I, I, don't, I don't even know what they are. Cause I don't follow them, but like, oh, I just, the problem I with just, that, just bought them last week right? Is there's no brand like, so now it's like big about it, but like there, there's no, there's no like established brand. Right. So if you're a new brand in a new market that nobody knows, like, like you're not buying the brand then, right. You're buying the systems, you're buying the, like the playbook for someone to tell you what to do. Um, so you can go in like tons of different directions. It really just depends on like what your goal is and what your skill sets are. Uh, and for me, it's taking this old brand and acquiring existing locations because it's super easy and then improving the operations of them. No, that's, that's really smart. And I like the way you like laid that out. Like you mentioned sales a little bit. I've kind of got two back-to-back things. Um, one more question and then like a comment it, from the sales standpoint, like people are going to hear has rolled up 30 different franchise locations and like operates them. I, I think it's mostly the, you mentioned at the beginning of the call, the Pennsylvania and Jersey markets, like kind of yep. the tri-state area currently. Yep. Um, like roughly speaking, like where are you guys at sales wise? Is this like like a $10 million business? Is it a hundred? Like, I just have no idea. Uh, yeah, we'll do 36 million over the next 12 months. Damn. That's, um, that's insane. Okay. So like, and so- we could probably do 45. Like if I got all my stores to the top quartile of my mm-hmm. stores, like is that skewed a huge- in any way, I guess, in terms of the average per store, yeah, is it like, above a I million got, or a couple stores yeah, I got, compared to the others? I got two, two stores doing 2 million. 
I've yeah. got a bunch of stores at, you know, 1.5 to 1.7 and 1.2. And then I got a couple that do 600, 700,000 that lose, they lose money. Uh, and so yeah. it's, it's really like figuring out how to get the 600, 700s to about a million. So they make a little bit of money. How do I get the millions to 1.5 and how to get the 1.5s to two? And then how do I get the twos to, to two and a half? Like there's shops out there that do 3 million, 4 million. I mean, there's a shop that's doing, uh, we'll probably do 5 million this year uh, out of, you know, the same four and walls. Is that more of a demographic or marketing or is it pretty much any shop in a reasonable area can hit those numbers if you have everything, you know, yeah, perfectly we're, streamlined? We're, we're in the people business, but we fix cars. So like it's it's all about the people, like our ability to hire good people and then to train them the process and then hold them accountable for executing the process. Like, so if a store is not performing, we either don't have the right person or he isn't following the, the right, he's not doing the right things. And so then our team, like our skill set is, can we identify, is it the guy or is it the process? Like, does he, does he believe in it or does he just like, just like, just not doing it because he doesn't believe in it. And so uh, our best stores like have the good people and they're very consistent in the process that they follow. And so uh, once again, this is like the operations, you can, you can have people that identify this stuff and then like execute. Um, you know, we can take like, you know, the average person and, and have them create extraordinary results by like putting these pieces together. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I think the, as we were kind of talking a little bit more and as you kind of broke down like the different types of franchises to get into and what it is that you're actually buying, I am thinking more and more in terms of like all of the different celebrities that are getting into the franchising model, um, yep. especially around like whether it's ghost kitchens or just like the, the quintessential example that I feel like our audience probably already really knows is like the Mr. Beast Burgers sure. and how he like opened up either through ghost kitchens or I think he just did one in Mall of America. Yeah, the, yeah, in, the, yeah in the North Jersey Mall, uh, like opened up his own personal location. Do you find that like that's a good strategy? Because I feel like for him, he probably found some logistics and operations company to turn around and just like crank out these patties. Um, and all he has to do is the marketing and sales piece. Like he is essentially the marketing and sales side of that. Yep. Um, and you see more and more like celebrities and influencers like kind of like push harder on like uh, branded products and things like that. But I think I might be wrong about this. I think even the Kardashians have some kind of franchise. Or I don't know if it's a location or a product or something yeah, like that. I know Shaq had one. It was all Papa John's, I think, for a while. Well, Shaq he's, he's on his own. Hold on. I got I to gotta look this up while we're on this call. I literally, in the, in the show it's notes. A chicken. It's a chicken company I was reading about. And he's got like 50 sold or 100 pre-sold or something throughout Florida and Texas. And You're saying like he has people that bought into the franchise model? Yeah, you know, he's creating his own brand called like I don't know, just Google Shaq's crispy chicken or whatever it was. Uh, and yeah, I, I read an article the other day on, on Twitter. He had a wait, yeah, I got, I got to find this right now because I think the funniest thing on the planet is Shaquille O'Neal's LinkedIn. And if yeah. I can actually go and find it right now, let's say, um, and also he's a great DJ. It's, I called, to, uh, yeah, it's called big chicken. Yep. Big I see chicken. founder and chairman of big chicken in Las Vegas, Nevada. But like, okay, so if you, oh man, he definitely trimmed down his LinkedIn a lot. So if, DJ Diesel. Yeah, DJ Diesel. Now, if, if you uh, used to go to his LinkedIn, like it's just the funniest stuff of like professional basketball player for 19 years. And then it's got like everything from, um, it had like Icy Hot representative, uh, board member and franchise of Papa John's International, founder and chairman of Big Chicken, team owner of NRG Esports. But this list used to be like, I, I gotta say like, 50 things long. And so I might try to go try to find like an old article that maybe screenshot of what it used yeah. to look like. 
because it had the most absurd franchises and like different products on it. Yeah. I mean, Hey, it's once again, the, the franchise or's job is marketing and branding. So it's really good place for them to get these big names. They even, ha- they disclose it in their, um, what are called FDDs. It's like the official franchise disclosure document. Like, do they have contract deals with any big name people? And they'll, they'll have to disclose how much money they're paying them too. It's it's, or, or what equity they're getting. Um, and so I think Papa John, I think it was, I think it was Shaquille. Had it. He had Papa John's, right? I think so. Yeah. He was yeah. getting, he got a percentage of, I don't know. He got a, he got a percentage of the equity shares and Papa John's. He got uh, all this stuff. So anyway, I think it's, I think it's a good play. If, if you're a franchisor, I would do it. So could you maybe review or, or go over like a typical franchise model for people that might not be familiar in terms of, yeah, sure. they, they kind of yeah, bring the marketing and stuff, but yeah, maybe franchising yeah. one-on-one in a sure. So like, you know, at the, at, there's a couple different ways, but like, uh, you know, at, at its most basic level, you're going to pay a entry fee, like an initial franchise fee to, to kind of buy the license to run the business whether that's buying an existing one that's currently operating or buying a new, like setting up a new location or a territory, however it's set up. So, I mean, there's low cost franchises that are $10,000 um, is like the initial franchise fee. Uh, and then there's some that could be a hundred thousand. So it's going to be somewhere in that probably 20, 30, 40 range is, is kind of average. So you're going to pay that. Then you're going to have whatever costs to start the business, whether buy the equipment or, you know, buy the assets of the guy you're buying out. So you pay that, you get it up and running, right? And then you're going to pay, um, you know, a, either a percentage or a fixed amount every month to corporate based off of your sales. And so a typical model is let's, let's call it 10% of your sales. You're going to pay to the franchisor. And now and there's usually a breakdown between sales and marketing of those dollars. So in like Midas, for example, you know, we pay 10%. So let's say we do whatever, uh, a store does $100,000 in a month, you know, we're going to pay them 10 grand of that 10 grand, five of it is actually going to go to an ad fund. Uh, and that, that, and then the ad fund, like we, we kind of have a vote in it, but Midas kind of controls it, but it's going to get split up between like a national budget, a, which is like national TV being on ESPN and stuff, a, uh, DMA budget. So like the Philly DMA, and then there might be even a local budget down to like some money I can control. So they slice and dice it any way they want. Uh, you don't really have a say, but you know, um, kind of is what it is, but half your money is going to marketing. The other half, so the other 5% is going to franchise corporate. And that's, what's paying for, you know, the brand and the support and like, obviously their profit center and all that. Uh, so that's the typical, that's like the typical model. You're to pay a percentage of your sales somewhere between eight to 12% is, is kind of the range. Um, you know, subway, I think is like eight and a half percent, uh, to sales and might be like two and a half percent to marketing. Some of it do it like that. Um, and then others like Midas, it's just split. So that's the typical model. Some of them then require uh, different things. Like they may have their own software, like like Midas used to, they sold the company, but they had their own software company. So then we weren't like pigeonholed to use their, their software, but like we were highly incentivized to use their own software, which then we, they got a, that was a profit center for them. Uh, other ones, like if you're in a food business, like you have to buy food from their distributors. Like you open up a Domino's, you have to buy your 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 flour and your bread and your cheese and your sauce from the Domino's affiliate distributor, which like then is also potentially a problem because that's a profit center for them. And so like, if they wanted to increase their margins, cause like whatever the, the it got sold to another private equity company, they could jack up from a 10% margin or whatever they're netting on that, that food to like a 20%. Right. And you as a franchisee, like you have to buy from the distributor and, you know, cuts in your, your margin. So Anyhow, that, that's at a basic level. It's percentage of sales. And then sometimes, you know, you have to buy products through them. And so 
you alluded to it earlier when you kind of talked about like the Chick-fil-A and like how that whole model works because Chick-fil-A is like very selective and but they're crazy high earning per location yep. too. Um, and I've heard some horror stories too in just in regards of like Subways, for instance, from my understanding are notoriously terrible franchises from what I've heard not being in the franchise industry because like they essentially let competitors open up a subway like right next door if you want to like there's no like uh i don't know if zoning is the right word but like yeah, at least it's lease negotiations would be there yeah, the, yeah. the proper term um yeah. are there like if you had to go and give like a top three and a bottom three franchises where like the bottom three are like listen if you're doing this you're better off just getting a job uh or the top three is like if you are able to somehow find a way to get into them and it could even be like an up-and-coming franchise or just like a historically great one to work with um what would you kind of rank them as yeah so um there's no magic bullet to start there's no like if you do this one you're gonna make a ton of money and if you do this one you're gonna like lose your house uh so it's not, it's not easy. It's not that black and white. And a lot of it comes down to execution on the subway thing. Note, I, I had a similar thought to you. And then I met two different guys through, through Twitter, actually, who both are buying up. There's tons of guys that want to get out. Cause like, uh, you know, and they're buying them up and they're, they're, you know, the one guy's got like 10 locations is making, you know, half a million dollars a year. And he lives in like Kentucky and the things are in, I don't know. I don't even know where they're at, but they're a plane right away. So like he's got this remote business that he's making half a million dollars a year buying out these these subways, and he said he could walk into a store and within within a second by looking at their their like bottle rack and their chips, he'll he'll know if it's a good manager or not. Like because a good manager would be nice and neat and clean, and a bad one would be like totally totally crap. And then so anyway, he's the same way though. He's he just focuses on execution. Like we had a lot of similarities. Um, and even for him, he said, it's actually a really good thing that all these ones are closing because it's, they were, they were oversaturated. So now they're kind of pruning the thing and the ones that are exist, like are, are still doing really well. Um, and some of them are in remote markets that like Jersey Mike's isn't going into and all these, like, you know, these other ones. So anyway, they're making money at it. So, uh, you know, that's that ones I'd stay away from. I would stay away from anyone that is like you know, it's, it's more business model. Like it's not necessarily that's a franchise. It's the business model that I would stay away from. I would stay away from, uh, inventory heavy businesses. Uh, years ago, we were in a business that was, you had to, you bought inventory and then you resold it. And like, you know, we were supposed to have like a 50% margin on the inventory, but then we had to have delivery drivers and then we had to have royalty. And then you had to have like coupons and discounts and at the end of the day, like after we got the thing delivered to the customer, I think our margin was like, I don't know, 35% or something or 30%. And then after that, I still had to pay a manager. I still had to pay a sales rep. I still had to pay rent and insurance and utilities and uh, gas and all this other shit. And so- Would like, an example of that be like like Marcus Lemonis's, I don't know if it's camping world or RV world. I don't know if it's franchise or not, but like a big equipment kind of- Yeah, I would see something there. that's like heavy, heavy inventory. If it was me, like I would stay away from, I would say anything that that you need a ton of volume to make any money, right? A low margin business means you need a ton of volume. Um, and so I would, I would stay away from that just from the, it's, it's capital intensive. And a lot of these times, those big businesses, you got to buy in volume to, to save it, to compete with the big guys, right? So you'd have to buy like a container load of stuff to get the discount to be competitive. And so it's like, you know, it's a race to the bottom in, in like a commodity like business. Um, so I, I would stay away from anything like that. Um, you know, ones I like, I mean, I like the, like, th there's a number of kind of mobile businesses, right. Where it's like, you, it's not retail, it's a service business, whether it's an at home or business to business where, you know, you own a territory, you know, you, you're, you have got a, like a guy and one or two guys and you have a truck and like, 
you have very low overhead, right? You might be able to run it out of a storage facility or something because you just have like basic equipment or basic chemicals, whether you're... I love like, I'd love like names or like specific examples if you have. Um, and, and for what it's worth, we can caveat this with like, it's not investment advice. If somebody goes and buys this franchise, like you are not held responsible, Brian. I'm just curious, like I kind of am picking up what you're putting down, but is that to say like, listen, you should go and start or partner up with a pool franchise, like a nationwide cleaning pool franchise, or like a big like maid service kind of thing. Like, is that what you're talking something, about? Yeah, something like that could could be good for somebody. Yeah, whether it's a there's tons of different home services ones, right? Like I interviewed a guy on, on my podcast, and it was it was a new franchise, but they provided home maintenance. So like, you know, they targeted higher end customers. So like someone who lived in like a seven hundred thousand dollar house or whatever, and they they would go quarterly to their house and they'd like change their air filters, they change the batteries in their like smoke detectors, they'd like clean their they'd seal the granite countertop, they they do the air ducts, they like suck out all the stuff, they reseal the like whatever stainless steel. Like and it was like a recurring revenue business targeted at home maintenance, very low overhead for them to operate, right? Extremely scalable. What's um, what's that the was, Maybe it's because I'm not a homeowner and sorry, I'm, I'm like kind of grilling you with questions here because I want to like understand this better, but like maybe it's because I'm not a homeowner. I feel like in the beginning of this podcast, oops, I'll edit that out. Uh, I feel like in the beginning of this podcast, it was like talking a lot about like, oh, the marketing element is such like a nice piece where like people recognize the brand right away and we don't have to play that game with mm -hmm. like a more of these like home ownership ones. And maybe I just am not in the space. I don't know. Like, do you still get that brand recognition or is it like better to buy into that franchise versus just starting it on your own? Yeah. I mean, good question. I think, you know, I guess it partly comes down to what your, what your strategy is. Right. And so like, so for me, and also I have a tough question job answering this because I'm not like, I'm not looking to buy another franchise, you know? So that's part of, part of like, I haven't done the research. These are just the theories when I think about like what I would look for. Uh, and that's why I guess I, I can't give specifics, but um, so the strategy, so let's get into the strategy. So if you wanted to roll up franchises, right. And this is your goal. You want to buy out existing. If you want to buy out existing, that means you need to be in a market that has a bunch of existing units to buy out, which generally means it's a legacy. Like it's been there for 20 plus years. It's a name that people know, uh, or at least think of right. Stanley steamer, like a carpet company, right. You know, that it's a home business, low overhead, like it fits the model and the people know it Great point. Uh, yeah. as an example. And so, um, so yeah, it's like trying to find a franchise that's in your market that has a bunch of locations. That's a legacy brand, because that means they have legacy owners, guys who want to retire. And if they would have got to pass it to their kids, they would have done it already by now. Right. And so then you're going in there and then you're, you're getting your foot in your door and then you start to create relationships and, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, get on this path to buy them out. So are there any resources in terms of even figuring out, like if I, yeah, I come to you and I say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm young. I want to get into the franchise business. I love the idea of buying other ones that already exist. I yep. agree. You know, maybe the legacy part makes a ton of sense. You know, it's going to sustain in the market for a while. It's already got demand. It, should I just drive around? It, like, like, can I, can I pull up Google maps? Are there any kind of tricks to see, okay, who's popular in my area? What are people doing? Even to just kind of get an idea of like, I don't even like, yep. is it a franchise? Is it corporate owned? Is it a small business um, yep. to kind of do a little bit more research on that front? Yeah. So it is, it is, I, I haven't figured out a trick yet. Uh, so, but it, it's, it's kind of a manual process, right? But like the, for the people who do the work, they're the ones that get rewarded for things. And so if someone's willing to put the work into like, just like they're finding, driving around to find an off market deal, like it's the same, it's the same concept. If there's an easy button, you know, everybody would, would do it and it wouldn't be easy. Right. Um, 
So what I'm, what I would recommend is there's sites that give like rankings of franchisees. So like I have like franchise times or whatever puts the, the, the top 400 franchises based on a bunch of rankings. And so um, out of like, there's like 3000 total. So they take the top 10%, almost all of them are legacy brands. They've been around for 20 plus years, almost all of them. And so I would, uh, I actually created a Google spreadsheet. I'd be happy to kind of share with the audience uh, where you can take that and then you can filter it down. Um, cause it's not like filterable on the website to say, Hey, what category is it retail? Is it uh, home service? Is it automotive? Is it whatever? Right. Uh, so this is what I would do. I would filter that to say, Hey, what I want, what I don't want. Like, I don't want to run a food business. I don't want to run a hotel, like a you know, best Western or whatever. And I don't want to run like a shipping business or whatever it is. Right. So then I, then you can like start to look at the names. Right. And to give you an idea of what's a franchise and what's not. Cause if you don't, a lot of people don't even know that something's a franchise. And so you kind of got this list. You can kind of get an idea. The next step is on, you go to bizbysell.com, which is like the largest you know, broker site for buying businesses. You put in you know, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, whatever. And then in the filters, you can, you can filter to say, give me the keyword that it's a franchise and turn on another filter that says, don't show me new franchise opportunities. So then it'll just show you existing franchises that are for sale. And I would, I would start looking through those. Like you'll see, you can buy a Dairy Queen that cash flows 35 grand and he's asking 70. So he's asking for two times earnings on that. Like not, it's not terrible, right? Not a ton of money. And then I would do and say, all right, maybe this is interesting. And then I would, uh, I would talk to him. I'd get the financials. I'd start to learn about it. I would then kind of go down a rabbit hole to say, all right, well then how many Dairy Queens are there? Like I would, uh, you can you can download what's called an FDD, uh, which I mentioned earlier, uh, through a number of free sites that gives you the location of every single franchise in the system and who owns it. So I would I would look at Philadelphia and then I would I would see is there fragmented ownership? And so there's a bunch of franchises where there's some big dogs that own like everything. Like there's there's guys in Papa John's that own 500 units. Like. There's this one group that owns every single location in Tampa and Orlando. And there's groups in Philly. Like I looked into Papa John's. There's one group that owned all of Philadelphia. So like, you know, if I want to roll up, like they own them all, they're not going to sell like 10 to me. Like, why would they? Right. And so uh, on the other hand, if I looked at Dairy Queen and I say, all right, there's like, there's like 30 franchises in Philadelphia, New Jersey, Delaware, whatever my radius is. And there's 20 different franchisees. Like, all right, that's like, I got, I got a bunch of these I could pick off. Right. Uh, so that'd be my next step. I download the FDD. I like go to, go to my target market and I look at ownership. And what's, uh, and- what's nice about that too, is that if you're buying these things for like two to three X earnings, let's say that you go and roll up 30 of them, I would imagine you basically bundle them up, add a nice little pretty bow on top of it. And you're selling them for like, a, I don't know, what, what would like a typically a 30 uh, franchise go for? Like six, six seven, X? seven, eight. I mean, it depends kind yeah. of on margins, but yeah. Yeah, you have instant like value creation where like tomorrow, like if I wanted to sell, like tomorrow I could go and buy a bunch of guys for three or four and overpay. And then the next day sell them for seven or eight. Like I could double the money, even if I don't even like do anything to the business. Uh, but, but part of that is because I'm willing to deal with all the bullshit to roll up these single shops and single guys and guys that give you, you know, I mean, we're walking in these things and everyone's paid cash and the place looks like crap. And like, you know, I gotta like, I gotta be the one to clean it all up and fix it. Right. If you're a big private equity company, they're not, they don't want to deal with that, right? That's why they're willing to pay for the, for the turnkey operations. Um, it's interesting in almost every industry, you can see that even Connor and I have been buying up storage facilities and you'll see that they had a, did a huge sale. What this week, Connor, I think of, of a bunch of really, really tiny facilities. Uh, that they the sold public storage. It was like a storage, right? It was like the 560 back. Yeah. 
but almost every industry has kind of a, um, a situation where they'll pay a premium for, you know, whether it's a bunch of real estate in the same area or the same type, or to your, to your point, some of these franchisers. Um, okay. So now, so now we're at the, we, we, we've got the list. We're looking at ones that are a bit um, fragmented. We're looking at dairy Queens. What are we, what are we doing next? Yeah. And then the next is, I mean, you're, you're probably talking to the franchisor, you know, talking to the sales rep, talking to, you know, who am I, who, who, am I calling the, the guy in biz by sell and being like, hey. Yeah. You start with him. That would be my, my okay. first guy. I'd talk to who's selling it and whether it's the franchise E directly, or, you know, he's using a broker, like it's, it's one or the other. So you're talking to him. Like, that's your first thing you're getting the financials. You're learning about the business. Like, I mean, I have a list of questions, but like, you know, why did you get into it? Why are you getting out of it? Like, you go through and you just want to learn about that. Your goal at this thing is just to spark ideas and just to learn about like the business model. And you may say, Hey, this is a terrible business model. Like I don't, I, I want nothing to do with like fast food anymore. Or you might say, Hey, this is like really cool. Um, or, or what you'll learn is that like, Hey, the um, Dairy Queen doesn't work. Cause like, you know, whatever, there's not fragmented ownership. It's all consolidated. However, I like this idea. Let me look at like, other ice cream shops or like, let me look at like Philly pretzel, which is like maybe similar to Dairy Queen or Rita's water ice. Or like, you can kind of go down this um, kind of rabbit hole of you, you talk to the, you, you find something that's for sale. You, you learn about the business model. If you like the business model, you're either like pursuing that same brand or you're looking at what are other franchises you know, other brands that have the same business model. Like if you're in the water mold fire restoration business, there's like Serve Pro and Service Master, right? They're two big ones, but like, and they own everything. But then there's like 10 others. You got like Paul Davis and PuraClean and 911 Restoration and all these other ones. So like, you may think, hey, this is a great business. There's no territories available. Nobody wants to sell. However, Paul Davis, like wide open, ton of old guys, they all want out. Like, let me just pursue that one. So uh, that's where the work comes in of what's the idea do I like the business model? If I like the business model, where, where else can I go with this? Uh, and if I don't like the business model, now I like, will completely ignore that sector food, for example. And I'll now go, go to back to biz by sound, start looking at gyms or fitness centers or, you know, whatever it is. That's really interesting. I find like, I'm, I'm on the uh, franchise times website that you brought up earlier with this kind of like the power rankings. Mm. What's crazy looking at it. So it basically has, if anyone wants to go on it afterwards, it's like rank name of the franchise, the total system sales, like how many, mm -hmm. like total gross sales across every location and then the number of locations. And what's insane to me, so number one, I think everyone could probably guess McDonald's, $93 billion. Um, number two, I think most people wouldn't know, but the, uh, by far the largest and uh, most stores compared to anyone is 7-Eleven. Um, the number three one throws me off the most though. I would have never guessed that this was number three, KFC. KFC has $26 billion. And then I also wouldn't have guessed number four, like Ace Hardware at $20 billion. It's so probably like, global though, right? Uh, yeah, prob so. Probably, but like Ace Hardware, is that like- Yeah, it's I global. No, but I think 7-Eleven, right? Is, is oh, if, you're, if you're going like Southeast Asia or, or Asia. But that, they're but that, way that more popular. Right. And they have also by far, they have 72,000 locations. So like mm -hmm. they are massive and they, that is way more than the average location, it seems like. Um, but for me, like the KFC and Ace Hardware, I would have never expected that kind of stuff. Um, like KFC is big internationally. Yeah, but like, like, is it bigger? If you told me it's bigger than Burger King, bigger than Domino's, bigger than Pizza Hut, bigger than Subway, I would be like, it's not it's like bigger than Taco Bell. Like, I don't know. I'm just going on this list right now. I'm just very impressed with like the actual distribution of it. Um, yeah, Brian, I want to, I want to still kind of hit on when, because um, I'm just so intrigued on when when you buy 
one of these, what what sort of levers though are you looking for to pull on? Because I'm, I'm assuming you don't want to, the, the roll-up becomes significantly more difficult. I think if you're just buying them as is maintaining sales, maintaining everything and just trying to do it, what what am I looking for? You know, am I going in and, and trimming fat and cutting expenses down? Do you look for kind of marketing opportunities? Is it training? Is there one specific lever? Does it really kind of depend on the actual uh, franchise you're looking at? Yeah, it depends on the franchise. Part of it, I mean, it's like when you're new, if it's your first franchise, your goal is just to learn the business model, figure out what works, follow what they tell you, talk to other successful franchisees, do whatever they tell you to do, right? So like, like if you're totally new, that's what you do. But once you're in the system, like you kind of figure out what works for you, like what's your secret sauce. And for us, uh, you know, we talk about driving sales. Like, so we have a number of ways we drive sales. One of the big ones is third-party financing. So like we have a number of payment options for people, whether they have good credit or no credit, doesn't matter. We got something we can get them approved as long as they got like a job and a checking account. And so I have some stores that are like, like they at least used to be the best in the country at this, like at these programs where we'd finance 40 or 50% of our work uh, through these things. And what we'd found is we're pretty, we can like crunch our numbers uh, pretty good that like the people that did the financing were more loyal. Like they came back more than non-finance customers. And then they spend about double the amount of money. So, so the, the lifetime value, the, not even the life, but the year time value was, was four times more than our average non-finance customers. So like, we know that our goal is then is to teach our guys, how do we educate people on this? You know, how do we pitch it? How do we, how do we get people on these programs, which, you know, is, is a, is a really good deal for them. Plus, like it builds loyalty, just like Home Depot and Lowe's. Most people only have one card, right? You, you get a Home Depot card, you probably only go to Home Depot. You get a Lowe's card, you probably only go to Lowe's. It's the same thing in in our space too, which is our goal is to get the financing, which builds loyalty. So like and that that's kind of your competitive advantage yep. potentially too against someone else that might have the same roll up strategy. Is hey, you have this additional yep. upsell now or way to increase sales that other people might not have. You're selling an expensive or, or they product have it. and like, you're providing the financing. They all have it, Mavis. Every single one of our competitors has th these programs available, right? Our, our like special sauce is we know how to like use it and we know the benefits of it. And like we drive- And how to sell it. And we, and we know how to sell it. We train our guys. And if a guy's not on board and tells us he doesn't believe in it, he's not going to work for us. Like it's because we know like it's so significant. And so many people, like we can help make auto repair affordable through our programs. And like, people love it because they come back if they didn't, like if the numbers were reversed and like we lost customers, if we put them on the program, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't even do it. Right. It'd be stupid. So anyhow, so a lot of it is like figuring out what's the secret sauce in your own business that, that drives success. And then we implement that process. So we get all the new guys on board and we say, Hey, listen, like, you know, welcome aboard. We're we're happy to give everybody a shot and train them on our our way of doing business. And a lot of them thrive. Like we've we've acquired you know seven stores at a time. Uh, and I think you know some of the guys we literally doubled their pay. They doubled the sales and we doubled their pay. And like so it was a great it was a great and they still work for us today. Like you know it's almost a, you know well over a year later now. Sending yeah. one guy to Hawaii because he won a trip. Like all this cool stuff. So like are there a any lot. But then we fire other people like after three weeks because it's like they're an idiot and like they're not listening to their new boss at all. And like, you know, thus we bought you like, you know, this is why you're like not employed. Is there uh, any way to kind of maybe figure out what what some of these secret sauces might be? Like if I let's go back, maybe the Dairy Queen, Queen example, would, would other owners, you know, answer my call if I called them up and said, hey, like what 
how are you out competing everyone right now? You have, you have this many locations, you have some of the best sales amount in the state country, whatever metrics you could find. Um, you know, is, is that a reasonable strategy? Figure out what they're doing potentially better, try to emulate yeah, what, once, what, what they're doing or, cause I, I feel like coming in, I don't know, you're somewhat blind, right? If you don't really know what the franchise, if you're new to franchises, you might have, you might have a difficult time maybe trying to figure out what some of that, you know, what some of those levers really might be to pull on. Yeah. I'd say if you're, if you, if you're not in the system, it's going to be hard. Right. I mean, cause you know, you call up somebody and you want to ask them like how they, you know, what makes them successful. They think you're their competitor in their market. Like they're not going to tell you anything. Um, you know, you could go online and find guys like me or someone who's vocal in, in, in the system and, you know, maybe you could learn something. Um, the key is really once you get in, right. You believe in the brand, you believe I can make this work. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's like, that's the best part of franchising is, you know, it's very easy to make friends with other guys and call them up and learn like what's going well, what's not going well. Uh, I mean, I've, I've hosted zoom calls during COVID with like 70 other franchisees and I would interview a, uh, one of the top people and like, you know, ask them all these questions and, uh, you know, it, it, I learned a ton of stuff and it was, it was great for the audience. Right. Or we, we hosted other just hour long mastermind calls on how do we drive gross profit? How do we drive more tires? How do we drive whatever financing? And so, um, that's like the, the benefit is like anybody could whip one of those up and like all help each other. And so like, that's like, honestly, with the, the coolest part is like, you're, you're not, a, if, if you choose to be, you are not alone in this. Like you, you have a bunch of people who want to see you succeed. Even for me, it, it helps the brand. Cause the more like everybody, you know, the better we do as a group, the more doc marketing dollars that go into that bucket, the more TV spend we can buy. Right. The more locations that open up, the more like people know the brand and the better, like the, the more consistent execution across a brand, the, the better everyone does. And so really good flywheel. Uh, you know, it's, but the opposite is also true. If there's a bunch of shitty operators and they're all like messing it up for you, yeah. um, if they're in your market, like, well, it, it could be bad temporarily, but permanently, if you buy them out because like they suck, uh, you know, that's how you then can, can own the market. It's essentially if like you walk into like a subway and somebody like the subway's gross, it's not cleaned well and it starts getting that bad reputation. Like, doesn't even matter if like you are a great operator and like maintain a really, really clean storefront. If I see the sign subway and subconsciously, I think I've only had negative experiences in gross subways Then I'm yep. not going to go into yours. It's the same thing. Um, and, it, and that good. speaks to like the, the franchisor's ability to like, you know, remove, we call them detractors. Like, and so this is like a big part, you know, in, in the Midas system, which is how do we get rid of the detractors? How do we get rid of the bottom 20% or whatever it is that's, that's hurting our brand. And so uh, like we, like, cause I'm on the franchise advisory committee. So like I'm on this franchise group that advises corporate on like, you know, what we want to see. And as a group, like we want to see all these bad guys get out of the system, like sure. either close the stores or put incentives in place to allow the good operators like me to buy them out. And that's so, fun. um, no. so that's what we've done. Like they've listened and now there's programs. If, if they're in the bottom quartile, like we get a royalty freeze, uh, for t like 12 months or whatever it is. So basically we buy them. We're not going to pay any more royalty than whatever they were paying over their last 12 months. And so yeah, I feel like listening to you talk like the past 45 minutes, it's very clear to me that like you're a very sophisticated operator and the way you think like between incentives, management, leadership, like it's very, very apparent. Like I, I should have asked this prior to the call. How old are you right now? Uh, 34. 34. And uh, you mentioned you went to school. Did you, did you go to school like in Philly area? Uh, I went to college at University of Miami. Oh, nice. My, my brother went there. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, more, more so asking the sense of like, the, as you kind of talk about this stuff, I feel like one thing that I'm starting to notice 
guys my age, like around like the 25, 26 mark, starting to do more and more is like, I just have friends that were in undergrad with me starting to go back to business school and get like their MBA and start to kind of like pursue that path a little bit more. And that's certainly an expensive path. And you leave with either debt or like you're able to kind of save up a little bit of money and pay for it out of pocket. And then you go and get this like very typically operational or finance heavy type of like career afterwards. Um, and like you can kind of use it as a stepping ladder there. Would you recommend like more of a franchise opportunity or kind of franchise path? I guess you're, it's probably a little biased here, of course, but like if, yeah. if, the, if the goal is to go and learn like specifically operations and finance, knowing what you know about running Midas and like the franchises that you guys are running today compared to maybe, I'm sure you probably have friends that have gotten MBAs as well. Like how would you maybe delineate the two? And like, if somebody was at that crossroads, what would be your advice to them? Yeah. I mean, learn knowledge is better than book knowledge any day. Right. So you go out there and you actually do it. Um, I mean, you're going to learn a lot more, a lot quicker. And like, I mean, like, you know, a couple of years ago we were running, I was running six, six locations. Like, everything I've learned, I've, I've figured out along the way, like, I don't, I don't have an MBA. I just surround myself with like smart people. I join masterminds. I read, I read a lot of books. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Right. And today I run a $36 million company that, you know, we're going to continue to grow. I could probably grow this thing to a hundred, like if, if we desire. Right. So, and, and all the stuff, like you can read in a book, like you still got to figure it out yourself. Like I, I could read all this stuff in traction. I could read all this stuff in these other books, but that doesn't like it doesn't make me necessarily run a better company. Like I still need to figure out how the hell do I apply these principles and like, how do I execute on like the plan and how do I hold myself accountable? Like you can let, you can read all the stuff and you can have all the management theories you want in the world. But like at the end of the day, it comes down to execution and like wealth is built through execution. And so there's no better way to learn than just to go out and do it yourself. So I do think some of these mastermind groups and kind of um, cohorts of people in similar positions have been so valuable, even Connor and I buying up the storage sites. I'm in, I'm in a bunch of Twitter groups with a lot of other people that are doing the exact same thing. And it is so helpful either. Hey, okay. How do we, how do we force, you know, revenue higher? Maybe you upsell insurance, you get all these tips and tricks. And it kind of seems, you know, that's very storage specific, but whatever industry you're in, if you just surround yourself with other people doing really well, I think I've learned some of the um, kind of the best, best drivers there for growth as well. I'm, I'm curious on the actual real estate side. So you're not buying the real estate. You're going in and getting leased facilities. Are you negotiating with the landlord at that time during the acquisition? How do you make sure you're not getting uh, yep. screwed over when, when, when they see your sales go up and they're just going to you know drive rents through the roof? What does that look like? Yeah. So uh, a couple of different things. So the real estate, all of our building, almost all of our buildings are standalone triple net leases. Uh, we have two that are in strip centers, so they're a little bit different, but they're they're still triple net, just plus you know cam and fees. Uh, so a couple, you can slice and dice a couple of different ways. We own seven of the buildings ourselves um, that we've acquired over the years. Uh, there's some properties that we have a direct third party lease, so like it's just me to the guy. There's some that Midas owns directly, that it's just us to Midas, and then there's some that Midas has a third party, has a lease with a third party. They have a head lease and then they sublease it to us. You know, the, uh, in, in, in a business like Midas where it's retail focused, the franchisor's goal is to control as much real estate as possible. Because over the years, there's happens if, if I owned every single property, like 30 of them, right? And I decided I wanted out and I found discount tire would come in and pay me like a boatload of money and buy up all my real estate and buy up the franchise. Like, 
there's not a lot Midas could do. Like, and they could lose an entire market uh, overnight if a competitor came in. Um, and so they put in clauses there, like first right refusal and like these different things. But at the end of the day, if they're not willing to pony up to match competitor offer, uh, they could lose it. And so the franchisor's goal is to control it as much as possible, which through head leases or direct ownership. Um, so that's that's like part A. Part B, your question was the leases. Uh, I mean, we're taking over whatever lease is in place. And so if there's a third-party lease, like the one I just acquired uh, two days ago, right, with a landlord, I, you know, his lease expired in, in three years or whatever it was. And so part of the like contingency for us to do it was we need to be able to negotiate with them. And so seller gives us authorization and connection to the landlord. We negotiate whatever, two or three additional five-year options uh, to extend the lease, you know, at those marks. And so going into it, we've already got the execution and and we're good to go. Um, If it's my corporate owned, it's just, you know, we have the ability to renegotiate with them. They're the landlord. Uh, And so a lot of cases, sometimes they'll make us sign a new lease. Other times, like, uh, we'll use leverage to, uh, you know, get, you know, get some better terms or, or, you know, whatever we want. Um, but the bigger you get, the the easier it becomes. Um, in terms of like jacking up the sales, I've never had, I've only had to submit sales once. It was just this recent one. It was, it was a tax return. It was the whole entity too. So um, I, haven't, is, I haven't had that issue. Is there an opportunity on potentially combining it with the real estate side? Might, might be like a very specific question, but I'm, I've always been intrigued on, especially some of the triple net leases. If you were to buy a facility, say there's three years left on, on the lease, my understanding is that on the inverse side, on the real estate side, that triple net lease is significantly uh, lower value than if they have, mm-hmm. say, 20 years remaining. Sure. Could you partner up with a real estate entity, buy one of these facilities, you know, pre-closing, figure out a new lease agreement with them to get a 20, 15, 10-year lease on. That's kind of works for everyone. Complete all that. And now there's, I guess, uh, my thought is there'd be upside on the real estate as yeah, well. Flipped it to somebody if else. If you flip the triple net lease now to someone else and and I guess everyone potentially makes money there and you have a long-term lease that's favorable to you. Yeah, I mean, in theory. Or is that just too complicated? <laughs> it's, it's in theory. A lot of time, I mean, I know guys that do it with, um, so I'm in GoBundance. I don't know if you're familiar with GoBundance, but it's like a group of, it's like a mastermind group. And there's a guy yep. in there who's in, um, he's a, he crunch, he partnered with some crunch fitness franchisees. So same exact thing. They go, they find a strip mall that's like got a big vacant space and basically he'll go in, they buy it. He finances the, to build out the crunch with like 300 grand or whatever it is. And then these guys come in, you know, sign the big lease, the operator, he goes back to the bank. He, he like doubles the value, pulls out all his equity that he put into it uh, and double their money. And then they go and do it again. And so like, he's like built massive wealth executing that plan, just like by pairing up the franchise operator with, with real estate. So definitely possible, probably a little bit harder on a, on a triple net like that. Cause there's tons of other competitors. It's like, I think it'd be hard to get the discount on the property that would justify it. Um, cause Isn't like, it? cause you got Mavis, I don't know. You got these big, big players that like they're in the real estate game more than automotive. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Mavis, but like their business model, like they, they're terrible operators, but like, so they go in, they buy a place, they sign themselves a lease and then they flip it and sell the lease at like a six cap or whatever it was and um, double the money of whatever they bought it for. And their business just pays, like pays the rent. Like if it breaks even they're they're probably okay. Cause they just made a million dollars or whatever, flipping the building. This is probably a pretty obvious 
question, wow. but I'm, I'm curious if, uh, if there's just like a solution out there that I'm not aware of, what's like the easiest way to go and get exposure to franchises if you don't want to be the operator, like financially from an investment standpoint? Don't want to be the operator. So yeah, I mean, there's a couple different ways. I, I know there's a new thing out there. What's it called? Fran, Fran shares. Uh, oh yeah. Someone, um, what Cody Sanchez yeah. was promoting it, I believe. Yeah. Other that guy, as well. uh, yeah, it's Fran share. So the idea is you can, you know, it's, for, it's initially open to uh, accredited investors, but basically you invest in a fund and the fund funds guys like me, I guess, I guess I sell them a portion of my equity and, in exchange for some amount of money and they get, you get like passive income from it. Uh, cool. But like, on, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know much about that. I know they're trying to do it. Um, the other space is you find a good operator. You find like a, like, like the young guy, right. Who's like, maybe he's got one or two and he wants to grow to three, four, five, ten, 10, whatever. And you know, he, he, he wants, you know, money, but maybe he wants the business experience. Like he wants the mentor. He wants the help um, of more than just the capital. And, you know, working with them side by side, like maybe if you're really good at real estate and it's a real estate intensive business, like a fitness business, or even maybe automotive, like, and you got all this experience finding, negotiating, uh, leading development, if there's a whole bunch of like construction that needs to get done, like it's, it's a matter, you know, building a team is about matching skill set. So it's like, what skill set do you have that you could offer and what skill set do you need that you, you don't have? So, um, yeah, you could, you could totally, totally match. Yeah, no, it's really cool. I, uh, one of our friends, Stephen Ullman, who's been on the show before, talks a lot about how like whenever he's going to look to either start or buy a new company, he'll very frequently try to go find an operator from like some kind of like Fortune 500 company who's like maybe not like the most uh, like high risk appetite person in the world, but very proven when it comes to systems and processes and like knows how to go and execute at a high level. And we'll go and oftentimes bring them in. He'll be kind of like the creative element, the risk side of it, kind of give them some guaranteed pay to go and operate the business. And I think what's cool about what you're kind of saying is it sounds like that same principle can almost be applied into like the franchise world too, where if you yeah. find somebody who's organized, ops driven, you know, knows how to go and drive like revenue and whatnot, it could probably be a pretty cool opportunity to, uh, to grow and buy some of your own. Yeah. That's what we're looking at too. Cause even for me, like, you know, I, I had this, I have this problem of like shiny object syndrome, right? Where you like your mind goes in all these Dang. different things and you always I think the grass is greener. Like I think all the, all us entrepreneurs, we have that problem. Right. But like, then your focus gets diluted and like diluted focus to leads to diluted results. And so, um, even if we've tried like one off other franchises, uh, and other businesses and none of them really worked out because like, I was like the key driver of it, but I was so focused on growing my primary business that like it became a secondary thing. Right. Or third dairy, you know, and, and down the line. And so for us, like we want to grow and apply these skills, but we want to do it through like guys who are the main operator. Like that's their whole life, right? Is growing the business. And obviously we can help with like the playbook side of it and like, you know, strategy and all this stuff. Yeah. But like, so it's, but it's really about matching, you know, finding that, you know, finding that good match. That's the, that's the hardest part. Damn. Well, I feel like, I feel like you just got an MBA in, in franchises here and you definitely schooled us up here. So I appreciate the time, Ryan. Um, if people want to go and uh, check you out, see what you're building, follow along for more content, because I'm pretty sure you're pretty open about a lot of the numbers, whether it's the diligence or the playbooks that you're using to grow these franchises, where can they go and find you? Yeah. So I'm most active on Twitter, uh, Brian Beers. Um, find me there. My website, uh, brianbeers.com, just a link to a newsletter. I'm you know working on building the to talk about, you know, building the business, you know, once you make business, how do you invest it? That, that kind of thing is, is what's interesting. And uh, I also have a podcast business with beers uh, that you guys ever want to come name. on and talk about self storage or whatever. Happy to have you. Um, 
where I bring on entrepreneurs, we talk about growing a business and, you know, same thing. Um, cause a lot of it, like, you know, even though it's franchising, like all business principles apply cause we're growing a business. We're just flying the banner. So like, um, I don't, I don't really think you need to like say super focused on just franchising. Like it's, it's to learn how do you, how do you run ops? How do you run sales? You know, how do you create good culture? How do you manage people? Like those are the principles that applies. And it's just a question of how do you apply it? Where do you apply it? How fast do you want to grow? Um, and then you go from there. So. I love it. Thank you for coming on. And for anyone um, that's curious, we'll, we'll link below to, I think that spreadsheet you mentioned um, and some of those other websites as well, if anyone yep. wants to uh, click around. So yeah, thanks for coming on. I think, uh, I think people enjoy this. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for having me. If you thought today's episode was awesome, we would love it if you would leave a five-star review on the podcast, either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference and lets us get cooler and cooler guests for future episodes. Thank you.